Hello, everybody, and welcome to Edging on Dunstan, a podcast where three certified Dunstan dunces analyze a cinematic masterpiece by 10-minute increments. Today, we're discussing minutes 60 to 70. Mm. I'm Drew. I'm Sam. I'm Adam. Oh, and we're careening fast towards a, co- a conclusion that the film does not seem ready for. Right. In hell, which we do not seem ready for. This, oh boy... <laughs> We are just stepping into Act Three, and what a razor pass this this ten minute chunk. The pace has picked up. Everything yeah. happened, whereas last time nothing happened. And the time before that, nothing happened. And the time before that, nothing happened. Yeah, Suffice to say, nothing has happened until this point. It's like this movie is an hour of exposition for <laughs> a conclusion that I can't. I. I not to spoil the end of the episode or anything, but I still can't really wrap my head around. Uh, boy, we, we start off strong with DeBrow demanding that the children be locked up, <laughs> as all good children should be, so they yes. can't disturb the ball. Well, they were showing symptoms of the coronavirus. And she said they needed to be quarantined. Yes, uh... Oh, boy. She said, your boys are going to have to wear masks, which is an infringement of their constitutional rights, of course. <laughs> And Jason Alexander said, I ain't wearing no mask. I ain't listening to big government. Big Pharma can suck my fucking cock. You think I'm going to take that vaccine, Obama? <laughs> you see, we got that. we're out of the 9-11 arc, and now we're into the coronavirus arc. Oh, no. This is the one I was least ready for. Yeah. Uh, well, so we we they... really begin with Lord Rutledge uh, making a sequel comment to his uh, champagne that he could have comfortably bathed in. This time yes. telling Robert Grant that uh, his soup had a lot of hair in it, and then Robert lying to his well, boss. Well, he said Mr. the soup Bre- was delightful, but he might want to inquire which cook is having some substantial hair loss problems. Oh, that's, that's Thomas. He's going through radiation and chemo. Be a little more sensitive, Lord Rutledge. I don't care. I snuck a orangutan into your hotel. I remember when I was Bitch. little and he said that, I thought he was implying that he knew about the monkey. Like, <laughs> I thought he was implying that monkey's hair was in the suit. a lot of coarse monkey. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know, of course. <laughs> yeah, what's a, what, what even is a monkey? What, what's what? American? I, a monkey? <laughs> so we go to the Egyptian suite for every kid in a hotel room with their parents' credit card scene ever. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to jump on the bed. This is such a low-energy destruction scene, too. It's like, we're going to jump on the bed, and then... Yeah, they jump on the bed, they order banana splits. They, well, I mean, they do you know, knock over a bunch of champagne bottles, but it's really half-assed because Dunstan rolls into them like a bowling ball. Yeah, it's just it's just a, a very basic uh, room destruction scene until Kyle uh, gets naked and bathes with Dunstan. Yeah, that's pretty epic. And I, while his brother watches. Yeah. I do want to point out, too, I really... Stroking the phone line. I, I really hate the sound. Like, one of my least favorite sounds in the world is full glass bottles hitting each other. It's just, I think, the anxiety that comes with that of, like, are they going to break? So oh. that scene of Dunstan rolling into the champagne was the worst for me. I really hated that, because the sound of it is just the sound of a bunch of bottles being thrown at each other. Some good oh, foley right there. Terrible. It sounds like... It, I don't even think it was fully necessarily, because I'm not watching it. It really yeah, seems it's, like it's, that might have been... sound. I that's just... the room sound. <laughs> yeah. That's just the sound of the glass, like, powdly clinking into each other. But it's also good to incorporate foley into every discussion about audio, because those people are in a thing. 
thankless job. So we thank you. Go make Foley. Thank you, Foley artists. Go Foley artists who went <laughs> for Dunstan. But Rest in peace, Chris Foley. <laughs> in arm of Angel, but Dunstan, uh, we really got to give it up for Sammy the Orangutan again for... Really, they taught an orangutan to, like, turn into a bowling ball and just charge down bottles of champagne. Yeah. How did they explain that concept to the orangutan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got buckle farts to talk to him. It, it's, it's like how they made uh, Elvish and Lord of the Rings a real language. They did the same for Dunstan checks. It's very specific inflections of fart sound that you gotta get. <laughs> um. Do monkeys eat things besides bananas because... I feel like that's a real big stereotype. Well, like, they drink champagne. They drink champagne. This one drinks champagne and all he eats is bananas. And I think that's just really lazy writing. Yeah, get fucked, Ken Quapis. Did he write it? No, John oh, no, Hopkins wrote it. Yeah, John Hopkins did. Good job, John Hopkins. <laughs> yeah, John Hopkins. Eat shit. <laughs> you gotta give him credit for that frisbee shot, though. Genuinely, that shot of the frisbee flying out the window was really nice. Yeah, there was, it was like a great shot like until the, it came back like a fucking boomerang. It's, so, it's so, such a weird shot in this movie, too, where we like cut away from like a stereotypical hotel, kids in a hotel room party scene to just the outside of the building with like very little sound. A very as peaceful this, night. Yeah, like this, the, we just like get a bit of the neon sign at the top of the building as this frisbee flies out the window, then comes around and flies back in. They forgot it's not a boomerang. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But it comes back for a valiant purpose, though. Yes, because there's one character who doesn't have it bad enough in life. <laughs> <laughs> Lionel Spaulding. The Sans Neil. <laughs> Sans Neil. He's he's mourning the death of his precious Poochie. Sans That's Neil. what was on the table. Sans, it was a jar of his dog's Sans, ashes. Sans his wife. Sans his will to carry oh, on. Oh, man. <laughs> if there's one character in this entire movie that needs more backstory, it's definitely Lionel Spaulding because I feel like that would just make his character more sympathetic and compelling if he was like... He was in New York to, like, spread his wife's ashes on uh, Liberty Island or something like that. And then all this horrible shit happens to him. I might have already said this if you've been doing this for a few weeks now, but who is the guy in Malcolm in the Middle that works at the, uh, is the Wayne? manager? Craig. Craig. Craig, yes. He's Craig, except they don't give him any, like, bad qualities. So you just feel terrible for him. Yep. He's exactly Craig from Malcolm in the Middle. It's very hard to watch. It's so as he juggles these as he juggles his nice dishes for like five minutes, getting every last drop of scalding hot tea all over him. He's just enjoying tea with an open window when this boomerang frisbee attacks him, and he's covered with this scalding liquid. And all the boys look out the window as if they would have been able to see that, and they're like, <gasps> like "You know, he walked out of that hotel like after after his stay was finished, and was immediately struck by lightning <laughs> three times, and then killed himself." <laughs> But the, uh, no, he tried to kill himself with the gun jam, then he was hit by a truck. <laughs> <laughs> Which he lived through. <laughs> oh, poor Lionel Spaulding, bless you. My headcanon for him is just so sad. <laughs> oh, man. And then we get just the, the greatest line from Kyle. 
If Dad ever finds out that we checked Dunstan in the hotel, we'd be in big trouble. They're already double grounded. What? Yeah. How much more trouble could they possibly be in? <laughs> Brian can't use the security cameras to look at babes anymore, and Kyle, and Kyle can't, can't do uh, something he had to that. think of. Yeah, we are we are clueless as to what Kyle was grounded from. It's, yeah, all we see him doing is, is peeing and playing with his. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking oh, of which. Uh, Spider-Man Returns. Yeah, Peace Spider-Man Returns. I still, there's still been no scene where he he sanitizes that fucking plush Spider-Man, and he just gives it to Dunstan, who nuzzles it up against his face. So Dunstan now has COVID. Mm. <laughs> you oh, say I'm, that like it's a foregone conclusion, <laughs> and I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, hey, you heard me. More right. bananas. <laughs> While they're ordering room service, they're ordering like banana splits with extra bananas and like banana cream pie with extra bananas because they're kids, so they think monkey eat banana and that's it. But while Brian is ordering the room service, he says, You heard me, more bananas. <laughs> As like, if the room service person is fighting him on this. Yeah, the room service person's like, Hey, come on, you already got so many. You heard bananas. me, more bananas. That genuinely scared me. I've never seen you in this light before. It's kind of sexy, right? No. <laughs> oh, Dunstan's just getting me a little horny, my bad. We've gotten two whole scenes without sexual content in Dunstan. But you no, know what no. we've been missing? You know what we've been missing it's, for a it's while? It's been heavily implied. What uh, has? I'm sorry you haven't... I'm sorry that you've missed the subtext of the... Of all... <laughs> Just, it's just the energy that runs through the entire Oh page. yeah, Lord Rutledge did tie up a little boy in this scene, but we're getting yeah, with, ahead with, of ourselves. With practiced hand. <laughs> this was not his first time. Not his first radio. Mm -mm. I really enjoy the, uh, the the scene as they're preparing for the ball. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a really nice callback as they polish the floor. Yeah, that's one thing we haven't seen for a while. We haven't we seen a good more. polishing shot. Yeah. Can we can we get a nice uh, close-up of Jason Alexander just twiddling his fingers as someone lowers down a... What the hell are those called? Napkins. No! Whatever. <laughs> that works. Can we get a nice close-up of Jason Alexander just ruining the icing on this cake? Uh -huh. He just ruined that icing, you guys. Like, like, like I don't know what he thought he was doing, but he just smudged it down. Like I wanted to I wanted to pull him out of the screen and slap him and be like, it, you're not the cook, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Why are you ruining yeah, this and, beautiful and cake? To top it off, after this guy makes this masterpiece of a cake that is way beautiful. too big for a hundred people that are in attendance to beautiful. this party. Jason Alexander sticks a little corsage flower in it. Obviously not edible. I'm yeah. not sure. I'm not sure why. Well, he you did see that uh, you see fondant technology wasn't as advanced in uh. the 1960s as today. Today anything could be cake. <laughs> but back then, if you wanted to have Dunson realistic flowers, you had to get real. Flowers. I actually have a prosthetic foot made out of cake. That's just technology, I, baby. We tried to put the movie in the uh, in the PlayStation to watch today, but we picked it up and it was just cake. <laughs> The best part of this joke is that it's our, it's it, it no matter when we would have done that joke it would have been dated but the fact that we've done this joke like four months after the everything is cake meme is dead and are gonna be releasing this podcast like an, an additional three months after that. But I'm this also fun. Being recorded just for like full clarity, we're recording this on December fifth, nineteen eighty seven. So we predicted the meme, guys. Yeah. Yeah, and like the, the towers are strong. <laughs> the economy is strong. Reagan's still in the White House. Reagan will be never, for another four he's terms. He's never going to hell. <laughs> I'm also fond of prep for the crystal ball scene because there's a scene where uh, Robert's like uh, 
analyzing the the seating and the dining arrangements. So he takes out this tiny ruler and he's like doing circumference of a plate. And then when he realizes something's off, he sighs as if the last shred of his hope has just been destroyed. He goes, everyone, everyone <sighs> looks dejected. <laughs> everyone, oh. Like there is no fixing this. He can't just move like the saucer a bit to the left. Mr. This Prince, is the end of the world. Mr. Principal, he, he shouldn't have to check up. Well, I mean, I, I think we go from that directly to a different movie. We're just, <laughs> <laughs> it just does a hard cut. The music stops. We're suddenly in a dramatic scene of like, <laughs> of just Lord Rutledge just chain smoking and out hacking. Fox. Like a, he outfoxes those two children and a monkey. He hacks into How the did computer he do system it? and finds out which he, room ordered the most bananas. He <laughs> searches. He didn't hack. But he, search, he just goes under the hotel he goes to the room service website and types in the word banana. banana. <laughs> and then he's like, well, this room ordered lot banana. He's like, monkeys only eat bananas. Yeah. So, He's just slightly smarter than the two children and a monkey. And I can appreciate that. That's nice to see. Mm-hmm. Mm. He literally goes onto the hotel webpage, and for some reason from the webpage, you can look up everybody's room service orders, and he just decides banana will be good enough. Because, first of all, how asinine is it for him to suspect that Dunstan is disguised as one of the hotel guests? Hey, was he wrong? He was so right. He <laughs> screw you, Sam. <laughs> I, I, I would. I'd like to now bring up something that I see a lot in movies that really drives me crazy. Right. That, no, like it's something the screenwriters do. No, sh- shut the fuck up. I'm trying to. Have a <laughs> it's something that really drives me crazy that screenwriters do when the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. So when you get a character that says out loud. The next step, like when Kyle mm-hmm. says, that's, "We're gonna that's take you Brian. to his." Shut up, Drew. <laughs> when brought, wait, no, it was Kyle. No, no, I'm say I'm. I know what you're talking about. Oh. He's like, "We're going to take you to the zoo," and there's a knock at the door. He's like, "That is Brian." Oh, I thought he goes to the door. He's like, "Oh, that was not Brian." I was, I was still going with that. There was more to this. Just the fact that I even lose my train of thought. The fact I'm that sorry. every time in. A movie when you hear a character say out what they're going to do next, you just know that's a cue for something to go and change the plot. When they say out loud, it just bothers me so much. It's so lazy. We don't need to know that. Actually, it's the opposite of lazy. It's too much. We don't. We could have been just fine if he didn't tell us what they were going to do with the monkey. It wouldn't have affected the plot. We would have been okay. If they would have had a scene when they opened the door and was there, I wouldn't have known to be worried. I'd be like, oh, it's our good friend. Mark <laughs> Rutledge. He's been trying to catch them the entire they're movie. They're still on good terms with that guy. <laughs> I know like, we stopped making the, the child predator jokes at one point because it got too easy, but the, the, the depth oh, boy. skill with which he <laughs> oh, ties boy. up Kyle and tapes over his mouth and throws him in the bathroom... I, I, I know I already said, but that is not his first rodeo. <laughs> I can make nosy little boys disappear. It's such a disturbing subtext to the point where I genuinely don't think it's subtext anymore. I pre- it has to be intentional. They right? just gave up. Like, this is the third act. Balls to the wall. They have so many uh, potential plot lines to close off in the, what, 20 minutes that are left in the movie? Mm. If that. The first half of this movie was just an open tap of the plot lines. The end of this movie is going to be like 
the director coming through with an already wet mop, just spreading the water around the floor. Like, oh, we're going to get it. I'll it's, get it. It's like, here, right now, everyone listening to this, grab your mom's phone, open it up, double tap the home button, and see all of the tabs that she left open. There's going to be 28 tabs. That's what this is. Every little tab you've got to close is a plot. Then, then I need you to go to Fortnite.com and buy 2,500 V-Bucks and send them to P.O. Box 517. <laughs> but but uh, before that, I have a little note, and that's I'm a little bit upset by how inconsistent the size of the Majestic Hotel is. Because whenever we get establishing shots of it, it looks like it has maybe 10 floors. But then... When we're inside, you see the elevators have, like, 30 buttons, and when Brian gets sent down the elevator shaft, he's falling for, like, a good 30 seconds to hell. It's like Evangelion, actually. This movie inspired Evangelion, where uh, it's mostly, the hotel's mostly underground. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember uh, Anno said in an interview that he was really inspired by Dunstan Checks In. Yeah, he said it's his favorite movie. That's actually what inspired the character of Asuka. Actually, <gasps> actually what he said was... <laughs> <laughs> Because he's a true fan. Quick, which character from the Ungenesis Evangelion is most inspired by Dunstan Checks In? Oh, that's a good one. I, uh, I, I feel like, uh, oh, I can't think of the name now. It's very unfortunate. I think Shinji, because of all the psychosexual implications. That's a good point, yeah. When they get Shinji, down. Shinji's got very big, like, adult Kyle energy. Or, like, teenage Kyle energy. Kyle grew up to become Shinji, uh, Shinji Akari. Now let's stop alienating Adam. <laughs> and the rest of the audience. <laughs> so when they get down to the party, did any like I when you see Buck Lafarge's purple suit, yeah. I got some big wiggle vibes. I love Like that I got suit. some fruit salad, yummy yummy. Hey, if you turn the saturation up on that suit a little bit, I'd wear it. <laughs> I love that suit. Yeah, I think that everybody in these like black and gray dresses, I think they're happy to see that one splash of color. It looks like Lord Rutledge isn't the only one with a coat that's rather loud. <laughs> oh, 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 give me a high five for that one. That's my, that's let's a good get, Let's get back. some nice high five ASMR. That's a good ass call. That's back right good. There. That's going to clip so hard. <laughs> Hey, we just skipped right over when uh, Buckle Farge's dog just straight up huffs his nuts. Oh, he goes <laughs> gonna huff out on those balls. Like, he oh. gobbles them, swallows them. Oh, he... He is in there. He it's... is deep in those balls. I've seen I've seen dogs, like, sniff balls. I've never seen them, like, lick and growl and drool all over his balls before. It, it is like they, they run... It's like they, they just took a bunch of bacon strips and stapled them to Jason Alexander's oh, scrotum man. in that scene. <laughs> I think it's poetic justice that uh, the dog is, like, face deep in Jason Alexander's crotch, considering that's what Jason Alexander was doing for years on Seinfeld. <laughs> but, 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 uh, there's something that I caught that I think is important, and that is right after Lord Rutledge ties up Kyle, he says to Dunstan, it's time to check out. Hmm? And then that's when Dunstan launches his rebellion against Rutledge again, because he refuses to check out. Dunstan is checked in, then, and he will not be checked out. He's checked in for a life. Okay. Then Rutledge says, give daddy a big hug. And then he says, I'm going to f***ing kill you. And Dunstan just Mike Tyson's him. Yeah. 
Just just bites his ear clean off. Oh, it's it's especially funny because you can tell all the monkey's doing is just opening his mouth, and they added a crunching sound effect and like, pose, like the apple crunchy cartoon. Yeah, sound Yeah, like something you'd hear like from someone eating like a uh, like eating a banana wrong. Like, yeah, but do, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? The you never fuck? seen the video of Griffin McElroy eating a banana with the peel on? Shut no. up, Sam. <laughs> It makes such a good crunchy. I love, I love how we both went along with it too. Yeah, no, just I did like, not go along with it at all. <laughs> you said you, yeah. And no, then you like, said no. yeah. Did I really? Yeah, you said yeah. Studio audience. Next then. time you go, you're not a studio audience. You're just our audience. We love you. But uh, next time you uh, come across a banana in the wild, try eating it with the shell on. Uh, yeah. How about that Lionel Spalding? But yo, know, I, I just want to point out the fact that uh, Dunstan should have bit his ear off. I'm really upset that the ear wasn't bitten off. So I understand we got to keep Dunstan a bit more like on the up and up so that the audience like still likes him. But I really would like to have seen Lurelich get his ear fully bitten off because if we're going to be more realistic, there is no way Dunstan would not have torn that man's ears straight off his head. He killed his brother and turned him into American. We know exactly how Dunstan feels. As much as I love your hee-hee chuckle jokes, uh, let's be serious for a second, Sam. Uh, the rest of the plot takes place with Lord Rutledge in the Crystal Ball. Don't you think that would have been a little bit suspicious if he had a hole where his ear was? It would have been funny. <laughs> and that's why you'll never be a good director. Sam, did you notice that uh, Mrs. Delacroce was with the masseuse that she sexually assaulted? No. Yeah, yeah, she oh. came down to the party with him. Good, I'm glad Oh, she's gonna out. go up from the party oh, with him. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Oh, she's a thirsty broad. Lionel Spaulding comes back for another dose of pain. Yes. He he approaches Mrs. Dubrow, who, uh, Mrs. Dubrow, just a refresher, thinks that Lord Rutledge is a spy from the Le Monde Association who's going to approve the sixth star that she wants, because right now it's a five-star hotel. Mm. But uh, as she's, like, showing Lord Rutledge around, meanwhile, Lord Rutledge just wants to find Monkey, who escaped and is now... Uh, presumably at the crystal ball, which, by the way, he is. He's under the German lady's dress. He's under the German lady's dress. <laughs> but oh, another character that comes back, Fat Opera yeah, Lady. Fat Opera Lady is back. But Lionel Spaulding approaches uh, Mrs. DeBrow and says, I'm Lionel Spaulding. And then Mrs. DeBrow says, Oh, of course you are, and then walks away. This one hurt the worst for me. <laughs> he looks so dejected. Oh, that one, that like, you can just tell it, it took him so much, like, courage and confidence to just reach out and try and make a friend. He's yeah. He's getting himself back out. He's, there, he's ready to start seeing people. Dog. Yeah. <laughs> of course you are. Oh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Poor, poor little Spalding, Speaking man. of poor people. This, this movie's going to end with him just going, well, I guess I'll go back to my cupcake business. <laughs> oh, there's a hurricane. It's gone. All right, Drew. Speaking of poor people. Yes, brother. We get uh, another appearance by the titular Poor Artie. Oh, oh poor Artie. Who was so important to the well, first 45 it. seconds. <laughs> yeah. It, you'll remember in the first, like, uh, 10 minutes of the movie how the boys gallantly go to the rescue of poor Artie, who's being picked on by the mean old manager. And so the movie, you know, would set us up to sympathize with poor Artie. But what happens to poor Artie, Samuel? Uh, he gets dra dragged along by the dog. Like when uh, in the olden days they used to tie people to the end of carriages and just drag them along. Mm -hmm. 
that happens to poor Artie, who we're supposed to sympathize with. Yeah, and what was it? What was his sin? That you, with comedy, with slapstick comedy, a character has to have sinned for it to be funny. What was his yeah. sin? Pie in the face of the rich man. Yes. I feel like the, I guess we keep saying that like a lot of the characters, bad things happen to them, even though we don't see them doing bad things. <laughs> I can't make them deserve it. Are you well, suggesting? I, really think, I think at this point in the film, we're just supposed to accept the fact that this hotel is hell. <laughs> I know we've already said this before, but I, I, I think at this point, the, they assume that we've already figured that bit out, and they've just they've just trusted that the audience knows everybody here is is in hell. Like this, they have done terrible, terrible things. What they about Dunstan? They have jaywalked. They have had sex before marriage. They committed tax evasion. Mm-hmm. That's, that was Dunstan's sin. No, no, that, that one's okay. <laughs> oh yeah, eighties. Yeah, that's yeah, that's okay. Nineties. We're in, we're in the nineties. Damn it, Adam! You're making me look bad. We're bad. Hey, tax evasion never goes out of style. <laughs> Nobody sees Dunstan who is walking around the crystal ball at this point. Well, they're they're rich snobs. They never look down. Yeah, they've got their noses turned up so they can't see this peasant. They got their parasols and their walking sticks in their, and their top crumples. Hats. Hey, is that why why in uh, nice hotels the ceilings are always so fancy? Yes. Because <laughs> they already got they always got their heads turned up. That's why the Sistine Chapel was made. <laughs> Everyone kept walking in the building, but the ceiling is so blonde. <laughs> I would look at the I'd look at the ornate walls and floor, but I don't want to look down on anyone. Dunson, he walking around. He he getting some pate. He's he's enjoying the nightlife. Yes. Okay. Some that. something else that well, I'm just now. Buck Lafarge is walking around double fisting champagne. <laughs> yep. And harassing Lionel Spalding again, but that's more of a minor offense. Something I'm thinking I'm thinking about now that really sets the third act into motion. He is Kyle or. Yeah, Kyle comes down, the younger brother, comes down with the picture of Rutledge and the two monkeys and hands it to Brian, who's trying to get some action. Yeah. He hands it to Brian, and Brian sees Lord Rutledge and two monkeys, and his thought is, oh, Rutledge killed the other monkey, not, oh, there's another monkey loose in the hotel. Oh, yeah. Without any subtext. And then takes it to the father, and the father has the exact same reaction. Oh, Rutledge and two monkeys. Oh, Rutledge killed one, not, oh, maybe there's two monkeys here. No, no, no. Rutledge is reacting. No, no. Dad's reaction is, yeah, it's just the Lord Rutledge and two monkeys. What yeah, I know, but like... the crazy part is, though? What? This this movie, I've become so numb to its insanity that I didn't even understand the significance of them finding the photo. For a, a <laughs> while, it didn't hit me until we stopped watching. like, oh! Oh, it proves that he has the monkeys. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I didn't even... I, I was like... <laughs> I was just like, oh, it's just a picture of him and the monkeys. Yeah, I didn't even, whatever. I didn't, no, it's evidence. I, I did not even realize that was the significance. Right, we've been I thought watching they this just... movie too much. Something about this movie is, is, is ruining our brains. <laughs> That's another good question. Uh, Lord Rutledge kidnapped the boy and the monkey in like the Imperial Suite, and then he snuck them down to his own personal room. Did he just like grab onto their ears and then escort them through the hotel to his own room? Like in an old Bugs Bunny cartoon, he just pulled the corner of the frame out, and they just like jumped into the, the his room. That reminds me of the thing I was at a loss for words at in the last episode. I can't wait till the end when Buck Lafarge just got his sights set on Dunstan, and then Dunstan bends the barrel of the gun back, and Buck Lafarge shoots himself. This, well, now they know how the movie ends. They're not going to stick through the next couple that's episodes. That's all, folks. This bit with the photo also really made something else come to mind. I. I don't. I, I suddenly had a realization. What do the kids think that 
He's the the Rutherford has done wrong. Aside from knowing that he's been mean to Dunstan, they don't know about the money, do they? He knows that they he snuck a monkey into a hotel. Okay, so yeah, no one even knows about he. As far as we are concerned, Rutledge already got away with the theft. Like, oh yeah, for he sure. could just fucking leave. He did it. I, why is he still there? I assume because there's evidence. What? Yeah, the what monkey's evidence? gonna squeal, bro. <laughs> what evidence? He's just gotta, he's gotta leave. But the no. monkey's gonna squeal, bro. It's not like they're gonna be able to identify his particular monkey. I mean, not. Where's he, all where's he gonna same. get another it's orangutan? Proven that the only one who can communicate effectively with the monkey is Labar, <laughs> and we know that this man is so focused on his goal of arresting monkeys that he's not gonna. Once he's got Dunstan in his grasp, he doesn't care what else happens. He doesn't care if Dunstan's gonna try to squeal as long as he's not squealing on another monkey. Buck Lafarge, he's going to lock him in his monkey cage and leave him there to rot. Lord Rutledge is staying there because Dunstan still had a fanny pack full of diamonds. He didn't give the payout to uh, Lord Rutledge. And because Lord Rutledge has a trained monkey that can rob people, and he doesn't want to leave until he gets the monkey. And so now that he has the diamonds from Dunstan, he was going to vamoose. He, he still had the monk. The, he, Dunstan left his fanny pack when he No, no, away. he carried it. He was still wearing it. He definitely left it. Wait, no, you're right. He did leave with it. Yeah, he had the you're diamonds. Right. Do you think that the state subsidizes Lafarge's La- 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 <laughs> monkey's jail? I think the way he files his taxes, they do. <laughs> At least until his tell-all autobiography comes out. Lafarge, tell-all. I'm going to have so many censored bars to make in this one. Bro, I'm... Just this movie, we argued for like two minutes about what has and has not objectively happened in it, even though the two of us have seen it like 30 times. Yeah, it's just seeing it yeah, like it's... under this fine tooth comb. Wait, that didn't make sense. Like, at first, I thought I was, I felt like I was crazy in the first few episodes because I had so little of a grasp as to what was happening in this movie. But even like once we sit down and talk about it for 40 minutes, I come back and find I still don't know what's happening in this movie. <laughs> Because it just kind of like meanders. It, it has, it has the the it's like how does how does stoner comedies that have meandering plots like Big Lebowski make more sense than this movie? That entire movie is just meandering plot lines, but that still wraps up better than than, than this movie, which is just going nowhere. Speaking of which, Sam, how is Dunstan going to end now that we're in the final act? Well, as we were talking about how uh, this like it feels like the first act starting. Uh, 50 minutes in the movie, it, it hit me. I think I figured out what happened with this movie. This is actually... The the, the uh, confusing plot is actually symptomatic of a very troubled production history in which... Uh, did you know, Dustin Checks in was originally planned to be a trilogy. What happened was they had planned out the trilogy and they couldn't get it, fu- they couldn't get it funded. So they started production, rewrote it into be one movie, which is why the plot kind of like goes back and forth how it does, which is why you could kind of stop the movie at any point and have it and just say, it's done, this is it. Uh, but what happened was, you, you'll also notice, though, you might poke holes in my theory and say, at this point, things are getting kind of off the rails again. It doesn't seem like it's a very sensible trilogy. Well, that's because halfway through filming this one movie, which was a trilogy condensed down the one movie, they got it reapproved to make a trilogy. So they started backing it up a little bit. So what they could do is they could have the original that was going to be the trilogy condensed in the one movie, which is going to leave a cliffhanger. So the first movie, so Dustin checks in kind of comprises like the first 2.5 movies in the, so for the original re- trilogy. So for everyone who's checking back in, Sam said some of the dumbest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> Sam suggested that Dunstan checks in is similar to Gundam F91, but 
we'll move on from that. No, I'm, I'm suggesting more like it's similar to the fifth wave, where they were gonna make a trilogy, okay. but then it was so bad that they never got to make the trilogy. Or the uh, Lemony <laughs> Snicket series of unfortunate events movie. Yes, that's another, that's another one. That's another, these are good examples, guys. Like, by the way, if you guys ever want to do like a, uh, another one one off podcast where it's just me getting very angry because of the fifth wave episode, because that's my least favorite movie of all time. Uh, I, could, I could spend two hours talking about how much I hate that movie. Oh, is it that I bad? I, I wouldn't mind oh. watching it if we just do like a like a forty five minute long rant on that. Never seen it. Don't know nothing about it. But you know. I'm always down watching a horrible <laughs> movie. I have to cut this. I'll, tell you, I'll have to tell you guys about this movie a bit after we finish because <laughs> All right. Until then, thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Be sure to listen to next week's episode where we handle minutes 70 to 80. Until then, I have been Drew. I've been Sam. I've been Adam. Thank you, everybody. Have a nice week. Have fun in the city. That was Edging on Dunstan, the podcast where three reviews analyze Dunstan checks in 10 minutes at a time. You can email us at edgingpodcast at gmail.com. If you want your email featured on the show, make sure to let us know if we can use your name. Edging on Dunstan is a podcast by Sam, featuring Adam and Drew. Editing is by Adam. Intro is Right to Ascension, written by Sam and remixed by Adam.